This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good morning. You're listening to Pressing Matters, the show where we go beyond the headlines and explore issues driving the press. I'm Philip C. Today's show, I speak to Simon Huang, journalist and chief analyst at Tech in Asia, as he helps us unpack how the big ASEAN unicorns have performed so far this year. Welcome, Simon. Could you help us synthesize how the e-commerce giants have performed this year so far, particularly Grab, C and GoTo? It has been a mixed bag, hasn't it? You know, could you help us synthesize the ASEAN e-commerce giants and how they fed in, you know, this year, right? In particular, Grab, C and GoTo. It was a mixed bag, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a mixed bag. And they all had varying performances mm-hmm. as you know, um, I, I'm sure your your listeners have some idea, different um, uh, go-to, see and grab. They're all a bit different. Mm. They uh, have different businesses. They are in different geographies, although there is an overlap, of course, in Southeast Asia. So go-to is basically focused on Indonesia and they have three main business segments. So what they call on-demand services, which is both your mobility and food delivery. Mm-hmm. Second is fintech. And third is e-commerce, which is the Tokopedia brand. So for GoTo, um, yeah, they had a pretty good second quarter. Net revenue up 87% compared to a year ago. Adjust, adjusted EBITDA, which is one of the measures of earnings that they use, improved by 72% although still negative, and the company expects to break even on an EBITDA basis in the fourth quarter of this year. So I would say they performed decently. The market didn't overreact. I think over a few days, the shares were down by like 5%, but it was more or less in line with expectations. I think the big uh, story for this quarter was really C, not in a good way. (laughs) So if you look at how the shares performed the day after trading, um, sorry, after the results, you know, results came out uh, in the morning in the US. So um, trading that followed on the same day, uh, the shares plunged by 29%, which was the largest um, fall ever in its life as a public company, which is pretty amazing, you know, because uh, there have been plenty of like big falls, right? Especially uh, in the past one and a half years. Yeah. For it to go down 29% is, is really quite something. And I think that, yeah, as a, as a, as a journalist or um, an analyst of the company, we do... We do, you know, make take note of the market reaction. Uh, I think the market reaction, you, you don't want to obsess about it from day to day. But at the same time, when something like this happens, right, obviously you have to, to mm. understand what exactly led to, led to this very extreme reaction. And if you look at the numbers as reported, it actually doesn't seem so bad. So, you know, revenue was still up from the same period a year ago, up by 5%. Not amazing growth, but still up. And actually, C was actually profitable from a net income basis. It's a different measurement from EBITDA. And it's actually more conservative because it includes certain things that EBITDA doesn't. Uh, So, you know, to get to net income is actually, net income profitability is actually better than just um, EBITDA profitability. Uh, And so if you look at net income, it was actually up four times from the previous quarter. Uh, So why did the shares plunge? by so much. It was actually because of the prospect of 
um, higher future spending at Shopee in the quarters to come. Uh, and that's because competition in the e-commerce space in Southeast Asia is really heating up. And the big um, reason for that, of course, is TikTok Shop, which is coming in and making big strides in the region uh, and growing very quickly. So that is putting a lot of pressure. And um, because of that, Shopee as the dominant incumbent feels that they have to respond. So the market is expecting in quarters to come, Shopee to have to raise its expenses again. And this may actually send Shopee back in to be potentially loss making, right? So um, that was why the reaction was so extreme. Um, if you look at the other two segments of C, the main two segments apart from e-commerce, gaming, fintech, they're actually profitable, right? So it's really the e-commerce part that's where we're being um, now. And just to interject, it's interesting so, as a journalist, for you, uh, does a negative outlook amplify investor outlook a lot as opposed to the actual performance of the business? Because that seems to be yeah. the case for C, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, the stock market at the end of the day, the markets are forward looking. A lot of what a lot of what has happened in the quarter has already been baked into the share price because mm-hmm. analysts, sell-side analysts, the ones who work you know, in the banks have already come out with estimates for revenue, for, for income. So if there are big movements, it's usually because the actual results you know, exceed or fall short of the uh, expected you know, estimates by a significant amount or you have future um, issues that crop up, right? And so in this case, if you look at it, it's very interesting because they they have a, they release the results and then they have a management call, a Q&A after the results are released. And so I think, you know, if you looked at the initial results, yeah, the market fell by like 10, 11% initially. Um, but as the call went on and management started talking about what they're doing, you know, in um, the live commerce space, obviously management, when they talk about it, they pitch it in a certain way. <laughs> Hype it up sometimes. Yeah, and they're not going to say, oh, we're going to spend a lot of money on, on Shopee to fight with TikTok shop, right? The word TikTok mm-hmm. wasn't mentioned at all. But they're they are, they are saying, oh, we're going to uh, strengthen our dominance in the space by making more investments, right? So they, they pitch it in a very positive way. But, but the market knows that, oh, this means that you're going to start spending. And as you can see from uh, 11% fall as the as the day went on um, from pre, pre, pre-market trading, right? Because this mm-hmm. is all before the market opens. But there's already pre-market trading and you see, uh, I mean, you just look at Google and you can see that it just starts, it just keeps falling more and more and more. And then when the market opened, it, it, it continued its, its descent. So that was pretty interesting to cover because you're sort of seeing it live, right? How, how, yeah. how the market is reacting. Really sounds like it's so dynamic and there is qualitative nature to the conversation that shapes the, the gyration of the stock market, right? As opposed to the actual results itself. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to, you have to, you know, as I guess sometimes you have to listen to what management is saying. Uh, sometimes you have to, you do have to read between the lines. Ideally, these kind of surprises are best, best avoided because, you know, I don't think management intends for these kind of things to happen. But sometimes, yeah. People pick up on certain uh, what they're saying and what the implications are, and that can have a big impact on on the price of the shares. So it's very interesting to be involved in this in real time, right? And, and you don't you don't have to be a journalist to listen in. You know, anyone can listen in to these calls. Of course, how many people actually want to do that on a on a weekday night? <laughs> it's <laughs> another question. But I have to do it for work. So yeah, I mean, it is it is interesting to witness in in, in real time, like how how the market reacts to what is being said. So how how different is it? 
you know, covering these Asian tech giants versus the US behemoth giants. When yeah. you look at results and how results are posted, perhaps with these three big Asian giants, this is what you see in the US with the likes of Amazon, Uber, and Google, right? Yeah. Do you see very similar responses to how mm-hmm. the market looks at and analysts like yourself cover? Um, okay, so I don't really cover the um, big like uh, US tech companies, just, just uh, to be clear. So I don't really look at Amazon, Uber uh, closely. I, obviously, I do follow, uh, you know, roughly on a broad level what, what's happening, what's being reported but i i don't cover i don't like listening on the calls mm. um and things like that for the american companies I, I don't imagine there'll be a big difference especially um in the sense that you know um company like c is us listed after all so um, they're actually going after the same pool of uh you know um global institutional investors in some way right because those are the investors that are paying attention to the u.s stock market and and c right. and Grant are both in the u.s stock market so i don't think it's a huge difference i would say maybe you know potentially Potentially, there could be some uh, sort of like more extreme reactions because emerging markets are perceived to be more risky. Uh, you know, Uber is in mostly in the US, European markets. So those are more well-developed, more well-known. Whereas, yeah, I mean, I think from, from the Western perspective, Asian markets are more risky and more uncertain. Uh, obviously, that's not the case from our perspective. But from their perspective, there, there may be that additional risk that they factor in. So in that sense, it might be a bit more volatile tile but it's hard to say and and sorry if we could just uh, wrap up uh you know on the three companies uh because uh, i just mentioned grab since we haven't covered that uh grab did the, the best this quarter you know revenue up 77 percent year on year um ibida losses continue to narrow and they actually brought forward their break-even timetable so initially they've been saying that they'll break even by q4 and now it's been brought forward for uh to q3 so the market's like that i think shares went up by like 11 percent if i'm not wrong right. so um Grab seems to be in a better position, at least for now, compared to C. I mean, there's, um, you know, fintech overlap, but then they are not in in the strictly speaking the e-commerce field, right? Um, they're they're not there. So something that uh they have avoided. Uh, this bloodbath because the mix of their businesses is a bit different. And so this is for me central. You were mentioning that Grab has articulated that they are on a accelerated pathway to profitability. I recall yes. the conversation two years ago was very different, right? The focus yeah. then was growth, yeah, less about profitability. Has the narrative changed? fundamentally yeah. in the past six months. Yeah. Uh, well, I would say, you know, um, it's really over since since the Fed started really raising interest rates, right, which was the beginning, uh, I think this, uh, the beginning of last year, mm. 2022, which is why all the tech shares declined because when money is no longer so cheap, cheap so easily available, yeah, the cost of capital actually has a cost now. The focus does shift, right, from growth to profitability and that becomes much more important because investors want to see that the businesses are sustainable. They are no longer willing to just keep funding uh, businesses that are growing very quickly but have no end in sight to the losses they want to make. So you've seen all these companies having to cut costs, having to pivot, right? Not just in Southeast Asia, but in, in the US as well. You know, Uber, the CEO, I remember, uh, had this, you know, briefing for his employees saying, we are in a really different environment. Now things are changing. We're going to have to pivot in terms of how we are, you know, where we are focused. So definitely Profitability is so much more important, or now at least. The problem is that investors also want to have their cake and eat it. 
right? Yeah. And at the end of the day, they are investing in these businesses because they want these businesses to grow and to um, become bigger, right? Uh, so it's a tightrope because for these companies, right, on the one hand, you have to keep your expenses in check. You have to cut costs, but uh, you have to also bear in mind that if you are too extreme with that, right, and your growth really starts to slow too much, then investors will say, oh, well, you know, why are you not growing so quickly? <laughs> so it's, it's very difficult, I think, to have this to have this balance between the two. But for now, they are going to have to keep walking the tightrope because definitely, you know, profitability is, is key, um, at least for now in the short to medium term, I would say. We're heading into some messages and when we come back, we continue our discussion with Simon Huang, journalist and chief analyst at Tech in Asia. Stay tuned on the FM 89.9. Thanks for staying tuned to Pressing Matters on the Morning Run. Today on the show is Simon Huang, journalist and chief analyst at Tech in Asia, as we have a broad-ranging conversation about how the e-commerce giants have performed this year. Now, Simon, we ended the previous conversation about how there has been a shift in focus from growth to profitability among the investor community. And so with that shift, it will be hard for the next generation of unicorns to emerge, right? Because the era of cheap money is over. Yeah, I no, I definitely agree agree with you. I think that there was an opportunity, right? Like, I don't know, maybe like 10 years ago when these companies uh first started, were first founded. Because if you look at our region as well as a whole, uh, millions of people were going online for the first time, you know, they were getting their mobile phones, they were there was an opportunity to to, to get to be the first like point of contact, the first time you use right hailing or you order food delivery. At that time, 10 years ago, that's when you needed to spend the money to invest, right? And so that's what Grab did. That's what Gojek uh, did and Tokopedia at the time. They came at the right time. They had they put in the money at the right time. And then now if you look at it, while there's still some flux, uh, you you have incumbents now, right? Which are these companies and they, yeah. they some of them have started to, you know, they they have like a majority share of a given market, which gives further advantages once you are the market leader. So um, definitely I would say that it's a lot harder now because you have these incumbents that are difficult to displace, right? If you already use certain services, why would you, it would take a lot to get you to download new app <laughs> i don't know about you but like i more than enough apps on my phone <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to download more apps you know if i can and so i think yeah it's going to be harder at least in the consumer space consumer tech space i think to have new players coming in and becoming unicorns um that said there are opportunities opportunities outside of the consumer tech space so if you look at uh for example insure insure tech there was a, a startup called bolt that raised quite a bit of money you know earlier this year and uh Indonesian uh, lender called Tredivo as well raised like a nine-figure sum as well uh, this year, just this year. So I would say that that space, like the fintech space, uh, maybe, you know, B2B, who knows, AI, uh, other areas, there may be opportunities to have breakout unicorns. Yeah. But I think for mobility, you know, ride hailing, food delivery, e-commerce. all there already. It's, it's hard to disrupt. It's hard to disrupt, but <laughs> it's not impossible. So look at e-commerce, uh, TikTok shop is just coming in and there's there's another uh sort of um company called temu i don't know if you've heard of them yeah but temu um is uh the sister company of pintuotuo which is a chinese you know e-commerce company and they they launched in the u.s they had this like big super bowl you know at uh, millions of dollars they paid for that and it's become really popular in a short period of time so you know they just entered the philippines as well mm. so yeah 
I think it's 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 gonna be hard to break out, but it's not impossible. Yeah, it's uh, make, makes it exciting <laughs> to exciting to- for sure. And I wonder whether the venture capital space in Southeast Asia has changed or altered fundamentally, right? Versus pre-pandemic, how different is it now? You look at the deals by volume and by value. Definitely, this year, you know, they are way down. I think that you know, going to be the case for a while. Investors are a lot more cautious, uh, but. Actually, if you want to be a bit contrarian, if you are an investor and you have money now, now may be the perfect time to invest because founders can no longer be so be so picky. Yeah, and not be um, so demanding as well with the time. Yeah, exactly. In terms of like the you know the the terms and and, and all of that. Uh, so if if you know, uh, just very recently there there's a VC firm called Five Hundred Global, and they just raised like one hundred and forty three million dollars to for two Southeast Asia funds, and there's another fund called the Mira Pute Fund which is a venture firm in Indonesia backed by the government there. And they raised like 300 million, right? From all the uh, corporate VC arms of the Indonesian state-owned enterprises. So I think that, yeah, definitely deal investments are down now, but it may actually be a good time to be a VC investor at this point in time when if you have that 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 dry powder to, to invest. And I guess what's interesting is, you know, listening to you, to be able to get a sense of what's happening on the ground means you really have to have your tentacles, a good sense, and have a good network, isn't it? Because not all of this information and insights is transparent, right? So in my mind, how do you as a journalist, you know, get access to this insights and information or really get a sense of how easy or difficult is it to capital raise? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think a lot of it is really having to talk to people on the ground, having to meet people um, as a journalist. That's something that is key. Uh, to be honest, it's not something that uh, I think it's something I need to do more of because I, I actually didn't start off as a journalist. So I was doing, you know, something else uh, before this. Uh, so it's still a bit new to me. Uh, and a lot of my work is about following the public companies, right? So you do have data available every quarter, but obviously that data is not always complete. It, it's, you know, what the, uh, like if you look at C, right, they, they're always like taking away the data they provide to investors like publicly. So it's a bit frustrating sometimes. Certain things they used to provide, they don't anymore because I think for these public companies the, the view That's is like small for them you think yeah because, yeah, because explain why would I give you something that you know my competitors can find out about my business if I yes. review it yeah so definitely we also um I you know I'm with Tech in Asia we do have our own database of fundraising that is helpful but it's just like a first cut right from there you need to go deeper and so the best way is really to meet um you know investors and founders other people in the industry or the ground to get a sense of what is going on. Yeah, I would say that is really key. I guess here in Southeast Asia, the opportunities when you talk about disruption feel less consumer related, but there are so many untapped white spaces here, isn't it, in Asia? What excites you here in Southeast Asia? What do you think are the white spaces that remain untapped? Yeah, yeah. So definitely, you know, I think InsurTech is a space that uh, is, uh, there, there, there is potential. Um, the question is how how big you know is 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 the market? Can it be served profitability? Uh, sorry, profitably. I think jury is still out on that, but I do think that yeah, that's an area with potential. Um, and you have a lot of uh digital banks coming in, so that will be another area to look at as well. Not just for the consumer side, but for the wholesale side or your your sort of small and medium businesses that uh may not have access to funding from traditional banks. And then I think beyond that, if we are looking at this, um, I mean, what what are the other areas that are interesting? Um, medical tech, I think that's an area that 
uh, maybe they have much attention on, but there are definitely some interesting things happening, right? Like there's a biotech uh, startup uh, based in Singapore called um, Mixus, M-I-R-X-E-S, and they are um, planning to list in Hong Kong. So that is one area that I think, uh, you know, we haven't really had that many um, success stories yet, but you're yeah. starting to see some of them coming to market now. So the whole health medtech space, I think it's also going to be um interesting um area. That That is where hmm. I would be looking at too. What do you think are the next breakout unicorns then? I mean, besides these three, right, that you're going to look very closely at that you think will be able to rival them in the future in Southeast Asia? Right. Um. Yeah, I think uh, you have some of the logistics companies are, are coming to market. So there's a logistics company called J&T Express that is uh, preparing to list uh, in Hong Kong. And of course, logistics is really the, what do you call that? The enabler of a lot of e-commerce, right? No. Uh, so... I think you know some of those companies will be interesting to to see what will happen um with them. Uh, recently there was a, a, a Vietnamese company called VNG that we um covered on Tech in Asia, and they are a Vietnamese company. Uh, they are in gaming as well, but they're also in like media and communications. So they have a messaging app. Uh, and they also are in fintech. So I think you know there there, there are co- other companies that are up and coming. Uh, that will be interesting to to look at. Uh, and yeah, some of the fintech um players as I as I mentioned, I think those if they they can scale, you know, um, will be will definitely be uh, ones to watch as well. That was Simon Huang from Tech in Asia. This has been Pressing Matters on the Morning Run. Coming up next is the 10 a.m. News Bulletin, followed by Enterprise, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.